I'd like to welcome everyone to the Orton Family Foundation's Heart and Soul Talks conference call series, where we focus on key tools and solutions aimed at building better communities through empowering residents to plan their future based on what matters most to them. Community Heart and Soul is the Orton Family Foundation's signature community development and planning method. My name is Fran Stoddard. And today, in partnership with the Council on Foundations, we will focus on how Orton's community heart and soul approach incorporates stories to illuminate a community's history, priorities, and aspirations. Stories can enable residents to better understand each other, shape new ways of thinking, and drive local decision-making. Changing the story of a place can change everything. And foundations are discovering that community heart and soul is an effective tool for better grant making as well. Our guests today are Nancy Van Milligan, the President and CEO of the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque, Iowa, and Jason Nysis, who is the Heart and Soul Coordinator there. Welcome, Nancy and Jason. Thank you. We're glad to be here. All right, great. Also joining us is Kathy Khrushchev. Uh, she is the President of the Finley Hancock County Community Foundation in Ohio. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you, Fran. Happy to be here. All right. And uh, also Monica Palmquist, one of our favorite advocates for community heart and soul and its ability to shed light on unheard voices, joins us from Colorado. Hello, Monica. How's it going? Great. So we have over 300 folks registered today. Uh, we've put you all on mute to keep the audio as clean as possible. In your email is a link to our Google document. It's a shared online document for note-taking and questions, so you can interact with us in real time. You can open that document in your browser to follow along as Orton's Caitlin Davison takes notes. These notes will be proofed and refined after the call, providing a great resource for you in the future. You can also add your own comments, notes, or questions to the document in real time. It's a good idea to skim there now to, through there now to see the questions that have already come in to avoid redundancy. We'll also leave this document up after the call for your continued input and reference. In a few days, we will send the links around to the call notes and the podcast to all participants. Importantly, since the Google Doc can only handle 50 people as active document editors at a time, and again, we have over 300 registered, if you are not adding to the document by using the edit button, please close out and reopen the document in the read-only mode. If you're having any trouble with Google Docs during the call, click, clicking the refresh icon should take care of it. If you're still having technical issues, you can email Rachel Moyer at rmoyer at orton.org. But please send your questions or comments on storytelling and this call via the Google document. That will be the best thing. Thanks. So before we get to our on-the-ground guests, we have Elise Montez-Griego, who is the Director of Programs from Orton, and Talia Rivera, Director of Partnerships from the Council on Foundations to talk about their partnership. So we want to welcome both Elise and Talia to our call. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thank you. So let's start uh, with you, Elise, um, about this partnership and uh, and this call and and why you're um, why we're doing this call today. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Council on Foundations, for partnering on the call today. Um, we really are truly honored to have the chance to connect with everyone today and all of the Council on Foundation members. Um, the Council on Foundations' mission to provide members with the tools needed to essentially expand, enhance, and sustain their ability to advance the common good that really aligns with Orton's mission to give small and rural towns the tools needed to create a shared sense of belonging, really, and which helps improve decision-making and ultimately strengthens the social, cultural, and economic vibrancy of each place. In our work, um, the community really is in the driver's seat, and they develop the outcomes that they need as a community. Um, there's such a growing interest in using storytelling, and it's been popping up in so many fields over the past several years, whether it's medical, like health and wellness, natural environment. Even police departments are using storytelling. And I guess one of the reasons why I think is, that is is because stories really help us connect with each other on a very human level. Um, they help us see each other not as data or statistics. And I think really for so many years we've been divorced 
um, from the emotional connection to our specific topics of work or our specific missions. And so Council on Foundations approached us about doing a talk on storytelling because there's growing interest in using storytelling in the world of philanthropy, both to use stories as a way to shape, uh, really share the impacts and outcomes of philanthropic work, but also how storytelling is used to get more people involved with ideas and actions in our communities. And so storytelling is one piece of Orton's community heart and soul model, but it is the core of what makes our method so successful. We have over 10 years of experience working with towns hand-in-hand -hand developing the model, and what we found is that the notion of apathy really doesn't exist. People don't get involved because there's barriers or challenges that prevent them from being heard. Um, and so what we found is that storytelling, storytelling is a method to break down those barriers it creates many entry points for everyone to have a voice, and even those that are hard to reach don't attend traditional meetings like public hearings and such. It, and storytelling also begins to create a greater equity um, in who's heard and what actions are prioritized in a community. So no longer is it the same 10 people that have their voices heard or projects done in money. Um, and it helps the community create a positive narrative of itself, which closes divides um, because you're finding common ground and celebrating differences. And because storytelling is the heart is in in the heart and soul model helps strengthen and create new relationships in a place. We've seen all of the heart and soul towns tackle some very big issues because ultimately I think they were better equipped to harness their social capital. People got to know each other, and it isn't always about getting what I want, quote I want. It's about what the community wants or needs. And I thought it was interesting that in 2008, Council on Foundation sponsored a document called Framework for Community Leadership by Community Foundation. And we were actually really surprised at how much alignment there was with what Community Heart and Soul did for us and our partners and that document. It talks about being a catalyzing force and that the constituency of a foundation is the entire community. And embracing that helps create a better future for all. It talks about inclusively uniting people, institutions, and resources, and helping to provide significant, widely shared, lasting results. We've seen all of this happen as a result of Heart and Soul, and largely because people get to know each other and work on something together. So in a minute, we'll hear from two community foundations that have seen interesting and perhaps unexpected results from their work using storytelling and the community Heart and Soul model. Terrific, Elif. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, uh, Julia, it's great to have you on this call. W will you add to this about why the Council on Foundations got involved and decided uh, to partner with Orton on this call today? Yeah, I mean, as Elise stated, um, you know, we, we're very excited to be able to partner with um, the Orton Family Foundation on this conference call. Um, uh, of, obviously, the, the Orton Family Foundation has organized several calls like today's, and we listened to a recording of one of them and thought it would be beneficial for our members um, to get a better sense of how to use storytelling as a tool to share the impact that they're having in community. Um, and, and, and we just think that the heart and soul model and the approach is pretty powerful and, and really wanted our members um, to be able to hear more and learn more about it. So I really want to thank um, uh, the members of the Council on Foundations for taking the time out of your schedule to join us on this call. Okay, thank you so much, and um, thank you for helping us with this call. And tell you, is it Talia or Talia? I, I'm, it's Talia. Most it's people Talia. pronounce it Talia. They've been doing it since I, I, I was a kid, but it is Talia. <laughs> well, I, I, should, I should get it right. So, so thank you so much uh, to you both for setting this call up. Uh, now on to our, our guests who have been working on this on the ground. Nancy Van Milligan is the president and CEO of the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque. She's a national leader in community engagement and rural philanthropy. So, Nancy, why did you bring Heart and Soul to Greater Dubuque? Well, Fran, first let me tell you just a little bit about the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque. We're in northeast Iowa, and we serve seven rural counties. Um, we often say the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque is a community development organization that uses philanthropy as one of our tools. We're pretty young. We opened our doors 14 years ago. 
And we knew then that we wanted to be much more than a grant maker. And from the get-go, community and community impact have been at the core of everything we do. When we were about two years old, we facilitated a robust community engagement process. It was called Envision 2010, and we were totally hooked. We learned that a community succeeds when a vision is created with the participation of the community. And we also learned that to accurately understand the needs and priorities of the community, which you need to know if you're going to be a good grant maker, you need authentic consensus of all of the people that live there. So going forward, we have used community engagement and collective impact as tools to do our work. And the interesting thing is, as we've done this, we have been raising donor money at a much higher rate than some of our colleagues who are using a development plan to solicit donors. So when we first heard about Community Heart and Soul, we knew it was a great fit. It aligns with how we think and how we work. Um, it's really a perfect match because we believe to change systems and successfully achieve community goals, you need to engage the residents, and we mean all of them. Um, it also aligned with our practice of using storytelling as a tool to reach out to all of the residents in a community and then to connect community members with each other. Um, early on, when we first discovered Orton, we downloaded their Heart and Soul Field Guide. So when we read it, we realized, well, we're already doing a lot of pieces of this work, but what we found that, you know, in the field guide, in one place, we could find out the hows and the whys, the process, the details. Um, it was, you know, so well organized. Um, it explained um, why you did things and then gave us additional tips um, that were really useful in the work that we did. And we found that we were following the process more closely um, every time we were doing a community engagement process. So then about two years ago, we decided to get really serious, and we started talking to Orton about deploying the full heart and soul process in one of our communities, um, Monticello, Iowa. And that was with the goal of using it as a pilot and then expanding to other communities in our region over time. So we assigned um, a staff member, um, Jason, who you'll hear from in a little bit, to oversee um, Heart and Soul in Monticello. Um, and it's been great sailing ever since. Our board is on board. Um, the staff beyond Jason are learning and enjoying the process. And, and funders have been supportive, too. In fact, um, we did receive a USDA grant that helps support the work that we're doing in Monticello. Another big plus for us is as grant makers, the knowledge that we're learning through the process in Monticello has improved our grant making um, really 100%. We have become, um, you know, because we, we serve a pretty um, big region, but in Monticello we know the town, we know the people, we know the issues, we know the opportunities, and, and that has proved to be invaluable. So all in all, um, community heart and soul has really given us the tools to effectively engage our rural communities and provide them with what, you know, really what they want and what they need to create their community plan and take action. Um, so we are thrilled to be on this call to share this, this success story and hope we've got a few nuggets to share with all of you. Thank you, Nancy. I'm sure that you do, and I know that Jason will in a few minutes. Before we get to Jason, um, Kathy Kruchoff is here. She is the president of the Findlay-Hancock County Community Foundation. She's played a critical role in helping Orton to develop a partnership model that works for community foundations. So, Kathy, welcome, and um, again, we hope you talk about why community heart and soul was brought into your region and, and how, how it's worked out. Go ahead. Well, I'm ha happy to do that and appreciate the opportunity to be part of today's call. Um, we are a uh, what I would call a traditional community foundation. Um, we, have, we serve a, a single geographic area, Hancock County, Ohio, and in an area that um, doesn't have a huge population, we found ourselves still feeling isolated and not, and that we were not well serving our entire geographic area, um, even though it is, at, you know, one county, not even multiple counties in, in a single state. We took a longitudinal review of our grant making, and in so doing, it was very clear that we were not supporting our entire service area. We were, over a period of 10 years, we had awarded very few grants 
to rural areas. We also have very little incoming uh, support for the foundation from the rural areas. We went through a process of uh, trying to develop our own way to engage in different organizations and um, structures that were already part of the rural the rural scene, um, volunteer fire departments, um, lo local community organizations, those sorts of things. But what we found, and this sort of echoes what Nancy said, that the quality of the proposals that we were getting just wasn't what we were looking for. We knew that there, that there needed to be more. Um, so through um, a series of, of um, events that included um, a staff member um, here becoming a, um, a fellow through the um, the Funders Network, a Places Fellow, um, we became aware of the Orton Family Foundation and immediately saw that this was a, a process that would help these individual communities and also help our foundation become much more knowledgeable, much more integrated into these communities, and much more effective in understanding what, what those communities um, needs were and what their what their desires and their future vision for their community was. Um, we felt it was very important to demonstrate our sincere interest um, in in seeking to engage these communities um, and that we wanted to uh, be there not just superficially. Um, we hoped that that once we had some relationships in place that over time the, that we might connect the dots on the development side. Um, so what has happened is that we've become um, much more um, champions of the storytelling model and we have found that it has served to bring abstract ideas down to Earth, and it also creates a tremendous amount of empathy. This past weekend, the, our, the town that is using the Heart and Soul model had their community summit, and you could see their community conversation changing from, we can't, to, well, why not? And it was really exciting to see that as they went through the stories that had been collected and identified themes. Um, to take forward, you could see the energy and the excitement beginning to build within these, these more than 100 people who were there um, giving their Saturday morning to work on behalf of their town. So it was just tremendously fulfilling for them and, and also as a foundation to see that taking place in the community. I think the act of collecting stories is a political act. It's the, the, just the the act of sitting down and listening to someone um, conveys a very powerful message. It says, you're here. It says, I'm listening. And it says that you are now visible to me. And we have found that to be um, very powerful as we've um, worked through the heart and soul, heart and soul model. On the development side, echoing what Nancy said, um, it's been really interesting. We'd hoped that down the road we might see a bit more um, of the financial um, return coming back. Um, we viewed this as an investment um, that the foundation awarded a grant to make this possible, and we thought, you know, maybe over a number of years we might see that investment come back in the terms of support. Um, but it happened almost immediately, um, and we're having really um, intimate, powerful conversations with individuals, with some of the older residents who live in the town, um, and we've um, already, after a, a year in the process, we've already had several people come through, come forward to establish scholarship funds, um, with some community groups to have established donor advice funds. We've seen a couple of agency-designated funds um, open. Um, tremendous engagement with our Facebook um, and also through our annual meetings, our annual reports, and other activities that we carry out through the year. 
and we see this as really seeding future giving and, and showing that it's a sincere relationship that we want to have with the entire community and that we want to lead by listening first and then um, working together to to do what the community um, feels is in its best interest down the road. So we're we're very much on board with it and have found it to be a very rewarding process. Terrific, Cassie. Thank you so much for such great great news and a good um, and encapsulation of what's going on in Ohio there. So we're going to go back to Iowa to Jason Nysis. He is the Heart and Soul Coordinator at the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque. He is working to support more directly Heart and Soul projects in Iowa, including Monticello Heart and Soul, and to build interest in Heart and Soul among other local foundations. Um, and Jason, a quick question was even how did you pick Monticello for um, the pilot has come in from Virginia. But go ahead, Jason, and tell us about your experience working more directly in the towns. Sure. Thanks, Fran. Um, well, as Nancy uh, mentioned before, the importance of stories in philanthropy is really central to what we do here at the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque, and I would actually encourage any of you to check out our website, which is dbqfoundation.org, to really see how we have captured stories, not just about our, the impact of the philanthropy, but also the donors. And really telling that story is very much embedded in our DNA, so the fact that we have now connected with Heart and Soul as a way to do that in our rural communities fit right into what we do and how we want to engage all members of the community in our dialogue. Um, I think one of the challenges that we see is challenging those communities to really look inward and to really think about who lives in their towns and what voices haven't traditionally been heard, and also to get those folks to actually talk about what they like about their communities. Um, we found that when you ask people, what do you love about Monticello? Oh, I just like it here. Oh, why do you like it here? Well, it's a nice place to live. People don't have, they almost don't have the vocabulary. They don't understand. They don't, they don't think about it. People, they talk about the weather and they talk about their kids and they talk about high school sports, but they often don't talk about why they like where they live and what assets they have. So I think that's been an interesting learning curve for everybody who are, all the volunteers we are working with to really find their voice and to educate people about how to find their voice and how to really talk about what matters most in their communities. Um, we certainly know that each community is different and the skills that reside in each community are different. So just the methodology and even like the technology and things that we have to tell us to gather and tell the stories is really different in every community. Um, even the communication methods per community uh, are people on Facebook. Does everybody read the local newspaper? Is there some sort of community newsletter or something? Is there another way? How do people hear about things? How do they share stories and share ideas? So those are the kinds of things that we really try to investigate and use effectively in each community um, and make sure we're getting the, not just getting the word out, but also trying to get as many voices to the table as possible. Um, I've gone out and I've met with the foundation boards in our six counties, the six rural counties that we work in, uh, to get them thinking about how, about how Heart and Soul could be supported by those foundations in each county. And we know it's going to be different in each county. Um, the, they have different sized towns. They have different economies. Uh, there are always questions about the resources to support the program and hire coordinators and all these kinds of things. So we try to use stories in those contexts, too, like stories of success in other communities, stories of success in Monticello, to help those boards understand the connection between the stories we're hearing, the values that we're identifying, and the impact of the philanthropy that they are already doing in their counties and making sure that they are maximizing their impact. Um, one of our goals, too, through uh, by, by capturing these stories and, and encapsulating these values is really to try to connect these heart and soul communities to other agencies, other foundations, and other funders, other partners who will eventually help them realize their dreams. Um, I think there's always that, that, that anxiety about what's next. So now we've got all these big plans. Who's going to help us out, and how are we going to get this done? And one of our roles as a foundation is to help connect them to those resources that will help them build that pocket park or redo their pool or start a new countywide economic development plan. You know, what are those resources that we can help them connect with to, to, to fulfill that? 
Um, in our region, too, we're also hoping that when, as we expand Heart and Soul in our region and we have more communities who are taking part, that we'll create a little, uh, we'll create a community practice within our region so that people who are dedicated to this process and really understand how it can improve communities are talking within their region to each other as well, sharing resources, sharing ideas, uh, sharing connections, and really working together um, as a region to improve uh, life for everybody in the community because um, we know that these shared resources and, and building those partnerships is going to be a success. And the less, as, these, as we encourage these communities not to be so inward-looking and only protecting and knowing what they know, how do, we, how do they connect with each other and with statewide resources and even national resources to help them reach their goals? So that's kind of how we are working in our region, how we're um, trying to uh, help communities understand the importance of those stories, give them the tools to capture them, and then leverage those stories to uh, fulfill their, the dreams of their community. Terrific. Thank you so much, Jason. They're, they're lucky to have you. And uh, finally, our, our last speaker today is Monica Palmquist. She's a resident of Cortez, Colorado, where, as a community advisory member of Cortez Heart and Soul, she focused on connecting with the local Hispanic population. Monica is currently launching a new venture, I hear. Monica, I didn't even know, a TV show to bring health and wellness to minorities in the Four Corners region. I hope that's a big success. Monica has been a guest before, and we're delighted with her return to this talk series so, Monica, can you tell us how Gathering Stories changed your town? Go ahead. Thank you so much. As you all know, uh, the struggle to be a minority in no matter what part of the country you're in, uh, you all know that uh, not just minorities you're talking, but when you're talking about immigrant minorities, it's, it's a huge deal. Um, as you know, um, I came to be invited to the Heart and Soul process, and I always bring tears to my eyes because that was the kind of like a gate to heaven for me to try to reach out these minority groups. So I moved here, as you all know, in 2010 uh, due to my husband's work. And and I always said to myself, I refuse to live the way I live in Phoenix. Um, and forgive me if I said that word. It just simply I did not like the fear that is constantly present. So I try to reach out to the community as a community member, just as a simple advocate, and it didn't work. Um, it's simply because I was new in the community, don't know who to advocate until Heart and Soul came abroad. So um, in doing so, um, I got the opportunity to be introduced to you guys. And nobody wanted to share the story when we talk about how we're going to reach the community, who's going to do it. So I said, I'll do it, but I need to... Um, I need to know um, if you guys are going to support me. I got all the heart and all the passion, but I'm missing the tools to know how to do that. And so nobody wanted to volunteer to their own story, so I volunteered my own. And so it kind of has been my message to the community. Listen, folks, this is how I came to the country. Listen, folks, this is what happened. And we're in a minority group, and we have so much desire to be part of it. Help me. And so it's really about the story that started with my own story that I went out in the community with the heart and soul tools that was introduced with. Simply like I heard before saying, you know, what did you like and how did you come to live in Cortez? Why are you here? You know, what did you love about Cortez and why? And all these questions that I started asking the community and started making notes. Eventually we proceeded with the videos. Uh, people were very intimidated, so I went to uh, the parks. I went to the churches, and I went to sometimes the restaurants on the weekends. Hey, can you give me a couple minutes to the server? Oh, I'm working right now. When do you get off? And they say, well, I get up in a couple hours. you want to come back? Yes, I'll come back. Can I ask you just a few questions? Yes. So I'll come back, and they said really how I find out that I needed to do a lot of let work to let the community that these stories was going to work. Now I have the gate open. Now I needed to prove the organization heart and soul in my community, that stories were going to work. So I started writing down, and I will film it with my phone, or I use a night buyer. Eventually, I borrowed the equipment from um, or Cortez Heart and Soul, and I will went out and get the stories. Uh, I will go and knock on the doors in the churches, and I this is who I am. I'm coming on um, behalf of Heart and Soul, and blah, blah, blah. Would you let me interview your community, your church? Oh, yes, come back after so-and-so. And I said, great. Right. 
In other places, they'll say, no, we're not interested. You almost feel like you're selling a product. And I had it to make it appealing to them. And I say, what would it take for me to gather 10 interviews in one day so I don't have to be knocking door by door? Now, I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, this is something that has never been done in any community. And even with heart and soul, I had it to prove that it was going to work. So I say, tell me when is the best time to contact you. Tell me when I can come back. And that's what I did. I came down when they told me to come back and they said, you know what, don't say anything. Just gain the trust of the community. And I said, okay. So sometimes it would take me three to four uh, weeks before I was even allowed to interview the community. So now we're talking about a very segregated group. And so in order to gain the trust, I got to shut up meeting after meeting or service after service until I was gained the trust and then finally said, yes, go ahead and film. And I said, yes. So we got those stories. I got those videos now. I got something to prove. And I said, this is what the community wants to hear. Now, and on many times, as you know, uh, the first thing you're going to find out about any minority group is that sometimes the issues that most of the community likes are like we want to see or, or the beautification of the streets or we need to get together as a council and pay more attention to uh, certain issues. For us, it's totally the opposite because the question were so uh, hard and so deep that you start getting extracted in the story and you say, well, we don't have information in Spanish, for example. We don't have relationship with the police. We don't trust the police. Um, or community members doesn't care about us. We're invisible. They don't care about us. So, and then I started stressing those values based on the process that Hardenso provided me with. I showed them the videos. I had it to even to translate with them. And I said, listen, folks, this is what the community is saying. And then, then we come up with that subcommittee for Heart and Soul because we knew that this was going to be so broad and so overwhelming that we needed to have a subcommittee for that. So we formed a group, and I started releasing the videos one by one and extracting the values. And I said, this is what I came up. And I said, if I can just focus on three areas that I can tackle right away, then we'll do it. Number one, police information and communication. Number two, we need a media outlet to communicate with each other. And number three was about bringing the education back to the community. So those were the three main areas that I have even to this day dedicated to. Uh, throughout the time, as after the heart and soul process, what I have found is the connections with organizations and linking those back to the community. And that's the amazing process that heart and soul brought us. It taught us how to get there, how to get the process done through the stories and the connections with the community and eventually start bringing those funding. I'm glad to say that right now we're working, I'm still working with Compañeros, which is an immigrant organization. I got the invitation from Alice to talk at the health meeting uh, in Denver, Colorado, not knowing sometimes who you presented. But after that meeting, the guy said, you know, I listened to your story and I was impressed by it. You know, I use the same old, same old process because it's working. I share my story. I tell one of them I'm so passionate about it. And they give us more funding even for compañeros. Not knowing that's already a funder of us. They even pour more funding on us because they saw, I'm raising this community, folks. The Four Corners community, I'm sharing your story. I'm telling people, how can we get there? And a lot of that has to do with education. You know, once you start making the connection, once the stories are there, plan on what three main things, four things that you want to prioritize and bring them back to the community so the community can see the results. As a result of heart and soul process, I can tell you, look at our website and more information in Spanish. This is one of the things that the community wanted to see. Don't tell me about beautification on my street. Of course I care about that. But right here, right now, it's about taking care of immediate needs that the community cares about. And we did it through the heart and soul process because it brought us the connection. It gives us the dialogue. It gives us the tools. And also, it connected me because it was so integrated to every voice in the community but it brought, excuse me, it opened the doors to um, organizations, to uh, entities, uh, in the community itself. So I got uh, through, through that process. I came out with the uh, community guide. It's completely in Spanish. It's about to be posted on our website. And in the community, the flowing in communication and education, which to me is a process to start tackling the poverty and inequity in our community. Not that we're there yet. But it's a step forward in doing so. So anyway, I can keep going and going, right. but I'm going to start. 
Um, Monica's story is r remarkable, and uh, her her town is forever changed because of her. We do have a link to um, a short version of Monica's story in resources. It's a it's a little video that you might want to double check to hear some of that story again. Thank thank you so much, Monica. Now we want to get to uh, your questions, so we'll dive right in. The, the first question that came in was, did you use a community network analysis? And Jason, I'm going to go after you so you can prep yourself for this. Um, and they say, if you did use a community network analysis, how did it help you engage those typically not involved in your community? What voices? We've kind of heard some really good advice about how to get voices that are usually not heard from Monica. But Jason, do you have some other thoughts about how to use the community network analysis to engage more people? Um, sure. We definitely used uh, community network analysis in Monticello. We had a couple public meetings um, where we had some categories of just different audience categories that you typically find in most communities, and we asked the community members who came to the meeting to put contact names or groups that kind of fit into those categories up on up on the uh, up on the, the pieces of flip chart paper that were all over the room. And we basically then use that to as kind of a gap analysis type of thing to really say, well, here's who everybody thinks are the most – we ask everybody to put the five most important voices in your community down on Post-it notes and then go put them up on the categories that are around the room. And it was interesting because there were then some fairly significant gaps in some voices in the community. Are there no minority voices here? Are there no veteran voices here? You know, And so it really challenged them to think, oh, yeah, or – like low uh, low resource audiences, like that that whole that whole part of our analysis was empty. It's like, well, who speaks mm. to the low resource audiences in your community? Well, what about so and so? Now, you know, there's the guy, the minister who runs the food pantry. You know, and pretty soon they 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 started coming up with those ideas. It wasn't me. I was just asking. I was just challenging them to dig a little deeper and think about the voices that they don't typically think are being heard in their communities and. Based upon that analysis, we had then a guide that we used as we did outreach efforts. Okay, so clearly we're reaching, you know, and we could tell, we did some electronic surveys and things, we could tell, well, we're reaching kind of middle-aged white women who, you know, are, have lived in Monticello a long time, but what about newer residents? What about, you know, low-resource audiences? What about ethnic minorities and things? We could actually track that as we went and try to dig deeper as we went through the process to be sure we were, making that extra effort to include people that didn't typically get included. So we definitely right. used it, and it's been a continual, it's been, it's been a constant guide for us as we go through our process. Thank you, Jason, and, and, and clearly asking the right questions. Terrific. We're going to move on to the next question, which is, um, Nancy, I'm, I'm going to look to you for this about how storytelling can best serve as documentation and evaluation and in what form. I assume you have to return reports to your board. Well, Nancy, are you there? Yes, sorry, I had the mute button on. <laughs> <For you. laughs> um, yes, um, we do use storytelling um, both as a documentation tool and an evaluation tool, um, both um, written and electronic, but we also use it as a communication tool. So, um, you know, when when you receive the stories and you share them with others and and push them out, um, at that point, you they become documentation, and you can use it to um, help the groups make better decisions in the future, to think about things that they're not thinking about, um, um, and and so that's been very effective. Um, I'm probably not the best person to answer the evaluation tool um, because we're not far enough along in the process that we have really, um, that we have finished um, the work in Monticello and have really used it to evaluate the work that we've done. Jason, though, has some ideas. Well, one just Go one ahead, Jason. Thing. Did, did yeah. you want to add to that? And I'm sure that some people might want to add to the Google Doc who, have, who are further along in the process about if, if they might have used evaluation. But, Jason, did you have something to add? Well, just one quick thing that we're doing, we've got some events coming up in Monticello next week where we've actually gathered stories and put together some videos that encapsulate some of the, the themes, some of the big, uh, some of the values in the stories in Monticello. We're going to present those at the community meeting as a form of evaluation. We're going to present those videos and then have the community evaluate those and say, 
does this sound like Monticello? Or do, 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 do the voices that you see in these videos accurately reflect your community? So I think that's a way in which stories can be used as an evaluation tool in almost real time with your community. So that's happening next week. We don't know how successful it's going to be yet, but um, that's something we're attempting to see how it works. Terrific. Thank you, Jason. And, uh, Kathy, I'm going to skip to a, to a question about how efficient this process is. Um, we, we have a question from North Dakota about how small communities just can't afford it of a community planning process because resources just don't exist, he says. Uh, cost efficiency is very crucial in rural America, certainly. Um, and he even says, or do all towns need a sugar daddy? Now, I'm, I'm asking you this because I think you, you helped one town that you chose. People are kind of curious about how towns are chosen. But there's another town that wasn't chosen but is doing it anyway, Mount, Mount Blanchard. Is that, I'm not sure if I've got that story correct. But what would you say about a town that might be interested in this but really doesn't feel it has resources? Well, I think that it's there. I guess I'm, I have a couple of thoughts swirling about that question. Um, sure. There, that every community, I believe, has has more resources than than they imagine. And one of the beautiful things about the heart and soul process is that. As you go through the uh, steps of the process, you discover hidden leaders. You discover um, in the uh, pockets of support, financial or non-financial, that had not been visible before. And the Heart and Soul Field Guide does give a community a blueprint if there um, are a handful of folks who really want to take this on. The other thing I would do, though, is challenge that, um, that the resources don't exist in that as a community foundation, funding a project, project like this is right in our wheelhouse. And there are 700 community foundations across the United States. And I know that there's a community foundation in North Dakota. Um, so I would, you know, get Nancy on the phone with um, her counterpart and and start talking about what they can do to facilitate this. The cost of bringing a heart and soul um, to Macomb for more it's a two-year project. We've funded a grant of $130,000, and that was um, very much. Um, viewed as an investment in that community, and, and I think it's been a very effective use of funds. Um, and what I see then is down the road, the quality of the proposals and the quality of the projects and their readiness to not only approach us for support, but USDA, um, Ohio Department of Development, ODOT, our Department of Transportation, um, CSX Rails, they are going to be so ready to capture um, multiples more, tens of thousands of dollars more of financial support. And I, I think that that cannot be underestimated. And um, you know, would just really in, encourage folks who feel that they're in a resource-poor area to, to look for um, other partners who can who can um, join with them and and bring this this project to have to come to bear in their community. Terrific, Kathy. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Monica. I think this this question is um, one you can answer. Vicky from Colorado asks, how can you use storytelling to overcome distrust in a community? Did you find that the storytelling that, that you did in Cortez helped overcome some of that distrust? Absolutely did. In fact, I shared once with uh, Allie, there used to be one community member, leader in the community, and it wrote the most amazing article about our community, immigrant community, the Hispanic community. Okay, when I'm talking about Hispanic immigrants, uh, I'm not just talking about legal. There's a lot of people here that it's simply the language barriers that keep those from, you know, feeling fully part of the community. So what the story did was that it was placed on city council meetings, that it was placed on uh, in front of uh, uh, several community leaders, mostly um, 
the CAT team, the, uh, the uh, advisory team for Heart and Soul, that they started listening to the stories, and they were like, some were like in tears. Some people were like, I can't believe it. We don't know anything about this group. My answer is yes, it does. And if you have it on video and show that to them, what their hopes and wants of the community, I can assure you that it's going to open the doors in a most unexpected way. Even to this day, I'm amazed. I continue, the doors continue to open from agency to agency, to organization to organization. It's just been taking the time to say, okay, who are we going to pick first? So it's kind of like that. So this is what I say. Okay, well, let's work on the media. I can't keep up with it. Let's, let's create that media and that website in Spanish that is going to finally give us that channel of communication. So my answer is yes, keep exploring that because most likely it's going to open the doors. Let the people see real faces, even if it's on video, and let them decide, you know. Let's see, what are we going to do with this body? Let's explore that. Let's see the video. Let's see what this person is really telling us. Terrific. Thank, thank you, Monica. I think I'm going to combine the next two questions. Uh, and, and really looked at Kathy and or Nancy. Adrian from New York is interested in once you've collected stories, what would be the best way to share them with the public? I, I think, you know, to make that bridge happen. And then Barbara from South Carolina is really interested in stories about eliminating hunger and poverty and working on this uh, locally and globally to, to get it done. So I, I know uh, Nancy and maybe Kathy also have also worked with other critical need issues uh, and getting stories about that. So how do you, you know, once you get these stories, whether they're about love of a town and or hunger, how do you share them with the public? Kathy, you want to start? Sure. Um, I think of it as a layer cake, and, and really what you're doing is you are building layers um, upon layers of around a particular story. And one that I um, feel was very successful for us, um, again, it has nothing to do with heart and soul, but it's about how to get these stories in front of the public. Um, our local Habitat for Humanity organization uh, started a home repair project, a home repair process. And that was great, and, you know, everybody needs a new roof and a water heater, and, and we all think that those are good things, but they... Um, and we worked with them and, and created a two-minute video that shows in a very charming and engaging way what having the roof fixed on a person's house has meant to, to that person. And, and what I go back to is that it, it, it created empathy for her and created a real understanding of why it is so important to keep people in their homes. Then we layered on top of that um, our Facebook um, and partnered with Habitat so that we launched it on our Facebook um, feeds at the same time. Then we were very strategic with that about getting people to share it. And people were sharing it and they were saying, oh my gosh, that's my aunt, that's my cousin, that's my grandma. And so it started to develop its own, um, its own momentum. Then we took it again and started um, using it as part of our presentations that we were making about why um, when you give to a community foundation and you establish a fund, here's what happens, here's what can happen. Um, and so we just built it and viewed it as layers upon layers upon layers and um, found that, that it wasn't any one thing. It was the layering of many things that, that really helped push that story through. Terrific. And, and Nancy, any, any, or anyone else want to add about the best way to share these stories with the public for impact? Well, I don't want to be redundant with what Kathy said, but we, um, you know, we talk about that it is not enough to do the work. You have to tell the stories about the work. And we spend a lot of time and actually resources on making sure our stories get out on many mediums. And one wonderful thing about our rural communities um, is often if they have a weekly paper, which many of them do, um, we've been able to let to have them give us a column that we would be have something in it every week. So in Monticello, we have something in their paper every week. 
Um, there's also radio shows we can get on. We use social media um, really effectively. We blog. We have e-newsletters, our regular newsletters. And we really, like Kathy's saying, that layer cake, push it out in many different venues. We um, um, make videos. And, and um, again, if you go on your website, many of those are on there. I'll tell you one great story of how this worked. We had a festival this summer and um, for around um, youth and we had an African-American barber um, set up a barber chair, and he would give a free haircut to um, any child who would read to him while he cut their hair. <laughs> and um, we pushed it out on social media, and it ended up on um, national news and national TV shows. And so you really never know um, what's going to spark the media's interest. And so we, we push pretty hard um, telling our stories in a variety of different ways to push it out to a variety of different audiences and see what sticks. Terrific. Thank you. And it seems that kind of answers when somebody asked, is it important to capture on video? Well, sure, but there are all these other ways to push the story out, which you have just described. So thank you for that. Uh, Another question is, how is this method changing the power-sharing dynamics of organizations and individuals? So this, um, Jason, I don't know if you want to tackle this one, but is it changing some power dynamics in towns? Or anybody um, else that might want to tackle that one? Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I'll, I'll quickly answer. I mean, we've, you know, we're, we're just in phase two of Heart and Soul in Monticello. Um, I definitely think we're starting to see unexpected leadership uh, arise on our the core team that's of volunteers that's working. I think people who have been very involved in the community in kind of behind-the-scenes ways are now out leading efforts and really being seen uh, as leaders and kind of being heard in different ways. Um, I, I, so I think that there are definitely ways that the power dynamic can shift. Um, it'll be very interesting to see because we're going to have city council members and county supervisors and those sorts of people who are going to be at our big Celebrate Monticello events next week, but they're going to be audience members. They're not going to be presenting. They'll be listening and they'll be participating along with everybody else. So it'll be interesting to see how how that goes. Uh, we just we haven't had that much experience with yet. Monica might have a better um, uh, kind of longitudinal experience with that. Monica, any changes that you've seen around power dynamics of organizations or individuals in Cortez? It is happening. It's slowly happening. I think uh, we're tackling the media right now. This probably you think we should have been done a long time ago. But, you know, I'm learning that it's a long way to go for our community. But I'm learning that I had to pace myself. Uh, website media has to be built in order to educate the community to find the resources. I always say that poverty begins tackling with information and education. So that's kind of my goal right now. Um, also, it's to build uh, stories around how our community has improved. And I'm on my way. I can right now say that one way or the other. Um, I'm on my way to see that, and we'll see what the results will be. I look forward to it. <laughs> okay, great, thank you. Um, Nancy, somebody wrote in as, as we were as you were talking, I believe, um, and asked, "What made you pick Monticello, Iowa, for your pilot?" And how do you how do we how do we end up choosing towns, or do or does that town self choose? Well, we chose Monticello, um, and we are pretty confident that it is not the best way to do it. I mean, everything has gone well, um, but, you know, we wanted to have a pilot. We wanted to um, – Art and Soul was pretty unknown in the area, and we served a seven-county region. Um, we had some other things going on in Monticello that made us in some relationships that made us think that this was a good town to pilot. But we are really interested in sharing heart and soul with communities and let them self-select. I think when that happens, um, it changes um, the conversation at the front end. So it's not like, what are you going to do for us? But it becomes the community really wants to do this work. Will you support it? Um, it's just a, a different, it, it, it may be a nuance, but I think it's really an important nuance. And especially when you're 
um, thinking about funding. You really want the town to own it and want it, and I think it makes all of the steps that you go through to be just a little bit easier. Okay. Um, this, this is Kathy, and I can jump in. Yeah. We um, we went through um, an application process. We spent several months um, shopping the notion around. We visited with, um, I think, almost all the smaller communities, and we have communities as small as 500. Um, and we went out and you know, visited with them and talked with them about the idea and told them that we were going to be doing this and that there'd be an application process. And we made it um, pretty formal. And our our theory was that um, the application process would set in motion the need for community people to come together to develop an application, to answer some questions, to do a little homework. We asked them, what are some basic you know, demographic information and, and whatnot that they might not have known about themselves before. And then we were able to see pretty clearly through that application process which towns were going to take it seriously. And really, there was a core group of people there who really wanted to do this. And the other towns where it was, oh, you know, we'll just kind of go through the motions and, and we'll see what happens. And when it came down to it, we had two really strong, strong applications. And it was tough to figure out um, for us which community would we work in first and then which community would we we go back to. Um, but it but it was a I think a very positive developmental process for those towns as well. Terrific, thanks. We're we're nearing the end, but we have a few more questions. We hope to get to all of them, but we will also people can write in their responses, and our team will also do that if we don't get to your question. And we want to loop back. Um, Elise, our director of programs, is interested in looping back to sharing stories out with the with the public. Go ahead, Elise. Sorry, Elise, I think I might have been part of a different um, question, but sharing stories out with the public, I think, can certainly help build relationships. Um, and I think is really important, and I think Monica actually touched on that. So thank you. So so we're covered there. Okay. Um, a, uh, Jackie from, from Maine has um, written in. She's wondering how Community Heart and Soul can work with other ongoing efforts. So Elise, why don't you hang in there? You probably um, can answer this one. In a community like she's saying an age-friendly community, and she also asks, uh, so, in, in other words, does this work with ongoing efforts? And she also wonders what happens after two years. Elise, can yeah, you answer that? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think one of the things that we always try to um, be really clear about and transparent about is that Heart and Soul isn't really – it's not a competitive or um, process that needs to be done in addition to something else or different than – um, let's say you have a community visioning process or a community building or um, you're doing a comprehensive plan or there's been even Main Street's work or something done in your town. Heart and Soul is really a complementary process that can, can help fold in past efforts and I think help lift them up or even help get them off the shelf, which is really important. Um, a lot of towns that we find interested in, in Heart and Soul, they're like, well, we've kind of done something like this in the past, but it just ended up on a shelf. And oftentimes when we describe um, how much more engaging the process is and the intentionality behind it, that that's what actually helps keep it from landing on the shelf. And so past efforts can um, be folded into the heart and soul process so that you can actually do more with them. And so whether you're doing asset-based community development or appreciative inquiry or the discovery process, like all of those are, you know, ways of doing engagement around um, – you know, pulling the community together, but through heart and soul, really try to push that into action on an implementation. Okay, thank you, Elise. I'm, I'm going to just give everybody a chance for one one last thought, and it might be addressing this question, which says, "What have you found most surprising as a response from your audience when you're delivering a story? Any any nuggets of wisdom from?" doing this, or there might be something else that you felt just hasn't yet been said. So I'm just going to um, check in with all of you. Nancy, a, a final word from you. Well, I think what's interesting is the people who say to me, you know, I've never 
Um, I've always wanted to be involved in my community, but I never knew how to. And by you, you know, helping us do this process, there's so many opportunities to get involved that I, I never really had the con confidence to um, um, join in before. And I, I just really think that's so exciting. Terrific. Thank you. Kathy. For me, I, it was eye-opening that um, I guess I assumed that in a very small community, um, everybody knew about everything that was going on. And it was very interesting to me to hear people say, I've lived here all my life, and I had no idea that such and such was going on, or I didn't know that there was that group of people who were making this this thing happen every year. And I found that just fascinating that how we go through our lives on a day-to-day -day basis and we're really not paying attention um, a lot of the time. And the heart and soul process um, makes those things much more visible and it's much more intentional. And um, And it's been very gratifying to see the connection that people have with their community deepen as a as a part of this process. Terrific. Thank you, Kathy. And Jason? Yeah, I would echo what Kathy said there. I, it's been really gratifying for me to see people discover things about their own community. It's also been interesting for me to see how important personal relationships are in these small communities. And that can be a really wonderful thing that people are so connected and they have a strong core group of friends and family. It can also be kind of a limitation um, you know, as we've struggled to find those unheard voices and make connections in those audiences, we'll bring up topics at our core team meetings like we haven't heard very many stories from the small African-American community that lives in Monticello. How do we, you know, how do we get that voice into our, into our conversation here? And it's just like blank stares around the table because they don't have personal, I don't know any of those families. Well, how do we get to know them? I don't know. You know, so, you, so while I, those personal connections are really, really important, it can also limit the circle and the reach. And it just, I think that's one of the cool things about Heart and Souls. It helps people get outside that comfort zone and meet people who are unlike themselves and really try to break down some of those barriers and learn what they have in common, not what they often assume they, separates them. Great insight. Thank you, Jason. And Monica, a final word. Yes, thank you. Um, I remember uh, almost at the tail end of the uh, heart and soul process, uh, one of our city council challenges is says, what does this process have meant to you in one sentence? And there was silence in the room because all of a sudden the question kind of hit you. And I said, really, what does this mean? So I thought about, and he says, I'll, I'll give you a minute to answer. So uh, after thinking about it, I said, what does this mean? Okay, this is what it means. I said, Tommy. That's his name. You guys know him. And, mm -hmm. and I say, my people wants to feel welcome and accepted. That is my sentence. Mm. And he was wide open. <laughs> he was his mouth wide open. I say, thank you. That was it. Mm. After a while, I was called apart from the rest of the people that were there. And I said, Monica, I, I was just impressed with your answer. And I say, well, me too. <laughs> I didn't know I would come out with something so precise. And mm. so that is so sentence I have repeated over and over because this has come, it has become kind of my logo. People want to feel welcome and want to feel accepted, no matter, no matter what group you represent. And so not long ago, I have really quick experience to share. I have a meeting with our sheriff in our county, and we talk about immigration, and we talk about licenses, and we talk about this and that, conversations that I would have just dreamed of three years ago or four years ago, and it's happening. And the best of all, uh, it is becoming uh, in Compañeros, Immigrant Resource Agency, we make it a bylaw that we're going to reach uh, Montezuma County four times a year in educating about licenses, taxes, immigrations, laws, blah, 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 and, oh, right. meetings with our sheriffs. So this is happening, and I can now sit back and say, this has happened. We we are we are out of time, so we're going to have to move on. I could I could listen to your inspiring stories all day, Monica. But thank you so much for for joining us today. Thank you. And
Yeah, you bet. And Nancy Milligan and Jason Nices from Iowa, thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Fran. Okay, and, and Kathy Khrushchev, thank you for your insights. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much and for the invitation. Thank you for being on. And Talia, thank you for putting this all together. We appreciate yes, everybody you. that was on this call. We encourage you to add your wisdom to the Google Doc. Uh, we'll leave it up there. Thank you for sticking with us for a few extra minutes. We want to thank the Council on Foundations again and the Orton Family Foundation for our call today. Please take just a moment to fill out a brief survey about this call by clicking on the link at the top of the Google Doc in the announcements section so we can make adjustments or enhance what we're doing for you. A podcast of this call in the Google Doc notes will be emailed around and posted online. We hope you join us for our next Orton Family Foundation event on April 21st when we partner with the Citizens Institute on Rural Design, or CIRD, CERD, to talk about rural trails and how recreational trails can enrich communities and enhance economic development. Thank you all for participating and continuing to participate on the Google Doc. We hope to get to some of those questions that weren't answered. Um, we're sure that they will be answered by the wisdom of this wonderful crowd. We hope you walk away with inspiration to use storytelling for engagement in your town right away. For all of us at the Orton Family Foundation, I'm Fran Stoddard. Hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.